You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMORG and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, and today we're joined by Dr. Kathleen Carroll. She's the Albert E. Kent Professor of Psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Dr. Carroll. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, so let's get started by talking about your background in addictions, just discussing your, your interest in tr- the treatment of addiction and, and the research of addiction. I've, I've always been. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and actually began my work in this in, in graduate school at the University of Minnesota. And then I came to, to Yale to do my internship, and I've, I've been there ever since studying addiction. I still have my, my first job as a as, as, as it is. And so, I mean, I just think there's so many interesting questions and, and there's such, you know, still such need. We've, we've, we've come so far, you know, when I, when I started, there were, you know, very few medications to treat substance use disorders. There were you know, nothing like manuals or empirically validated t- treatments. And so if you look at where we are now, it's it's really just extraordinary in terms of how much more we can offer people and the places we can we can we can treat people, and you know the the the, the you know I think the issue now as, as you know I started off at the age of, in project match and you know way way early and and so the issue now at this point in my career is really trying to figure out how to get effective treatments to people who have substance use disorders most, most effectively. So that's, that's kind of how, you know, my whole career has arced. I started from, you know, making manuals and, and, and trying to kind of systematize behavioral therapies so they could be studied effectively. And, you know, we did that, try to, you know, show how they could, you know, be combined with with medications when those were available, we did that. And, and now it's just trying to, you know, kind of push these, these treatments out to people who can benefit from them. All right. So why is it that these traditional SBIRT programs uh, have been more successful in addressing the alcohol use as compared to other drug use? Um, it's, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I think when, People come into to primary care with, with with alcohol. It's sort of a, it's you know, it's 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 a very teachable moment. And you know, if people are not sort of at the severe end, you know, we've seen this in in general, where you know, motivational interviewing and other kind of brief interventions can can really really have a have a big effect. Uh, and you know, the treatment of of drug abuse, especially when you get into the moderate to severe levels. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a lot harder. It's people usually need more intensive treatments, medic, you know, off, getting offers of medication when they're available and, you know, more than a, a session or two. So I think that's something that we've seen over and over again. And, you know, Dr. Sates and others has really commented 
Um, so now the, you know, the, the, then the, if the screening and brief intervention isn't sufficient, then what do you do next? And it's usually the, the notion that you refer people to, to, to treatment. And so there's been a, a, a couple follow-up studies from the, the big expert studies that showed that the rates of successful referral went, you know, when people actually got treatment, even with, you know, pretty warm handoffs, as we call them, is, is really low. I was very surprised to see it pops out at maybe 20%. So there's really a lot of missed opportunities and people who get you know, lost in the shuffle or don't or won't go to um, specialty care or can't afford it. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of, you know, barriers in the systems. Okay. And you mentioned that some of the challenges to treatment are the long wait times, low motivation, the costs associated with these programs, and of course, and transportation issues. So do you feel that the computer-based interventions address these challenges? Yeah. I mean, computers, you know, are, are, you know, are, are we, we've been working with computer-based interventions for, for a long time now, and we started out doing this work like in the early 2000s and tried to study them systematically and to figure out what they could and they, they couldn't do. And, you know, at first we, we just added it on to standard specialty care and we saw that it taught people things and that, that were, seemed to be beneficial and the uptake was really pretty good. And then as we went on, this was all in specialty care, you know, we showed that these treatments were, were actually, you know, pretty good. And, you know, with, we given with just really brief clinical monitoring, like, you know, 10 minutes every week, just to make sure that that level of care was still appropriate for the person, you know, our, our, you know, our CBT for CBT did, did just as well as, as, as treatment as usual as standard care. And, and, and so, you know, when, when that happened, then we, when we found out it could, you know, it was effective, you know, it was, it was safe monitoring. It lasted a long time. Yeah. You know, we, we, we re- really then moved to think about, well, this could really be used in a, in a lot of different places. And, and that's where our work has, has been. You know, I think in, in, in primary care, the staff now more than ever is just so, so busy and it's, you know, it's hard to follow through on referrals. It's, expensive to have, you know, specialty staff there all the time. So, you know, having this as a, as an alternative, you know, I think that's, this is, this may be one of the, one of the best matches, you know, of, of these new, you know, computer-based, based therapies, just, you know, delivering them whenever and, and wherever people are with substance use disorders. So we're, we're kind of excited about that. All right. And, and does the computer-based intervention present any unique challenges in the delivery of care? No, we have, we have articles that actually show that, you know, a lot of times people like, like it a lot better. You know, this, the standard model for a lot of specialty care has been, you know, sitting in, 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 in pretty unstructured groups. And, you know, a lot of people just don't like that. So, you know, we designed CBT for CBT to be, you know, really as engaging as possible. So it has these little movies with realistic characters that, that people get drawn into it's really, it's, 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 it's interactive, you know, so that we have little quizzes and, you know, uh, you know, kind of various kind of exercises people do, because we're really trying to teach people these, these skills. And, you know, we teach them as here's something you can do to get your substance use, you know, under control or prevent relapse. But, you know, this is, this is also a really 
useful skill for just being an effective human being, you know, sort of responding assertively and being able to tolerate craving, like you tolerate strong, strong affects and stuff. So we're really trying to, you know, this, this is a, we, we built it as a fun skills training machine and, you know, a lot of people really like it, you know, and I think, you know, now, you know, especially with, with, with COVID, you know, we're really seeing that, you know, treatments that people can bring into their homes or work, you know, wherever they are and use whenever, you know, really do have an, have an advantage. Okay. And I, I wanted to touch on this as a psychiatrist, this uh, intrigued me a bit, but I saw one of the exclusion criteria was um, untreated bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Uh, do you feel that the inclusion of those, these type of patients would have affected the results? Um, you know, un, untreated means, you know, you know we, we really wanted people who are just stable enough to be an outpatient treatment. So, you know, uh, you know, most, you know, it'd be, it'd be hard to initiate substance use treatment with somebody who was, you know, actively psychotic. So I don't think we excluded anybody for that. This was a, you know, the, the ARC clinic is this very cool specialty addiction medicine teaching practice that's within a primary care setting. So um, in general, you know, the level of, of serious mental illness is, is not, not very high. So, you know, that wasn't, that hasn't been an issue, but in, you know, incidentally, in, in our other trials, we, we did a, a randomized clinical trial that, that was done for uh, Spanish speaking people. And so we have a culturally adapted version of CBT for CBT. And we did that study in, a, in several, you know, mixed mental health substance abuse clinics, and 80% of that sample had, you know, some, you know, excess one um, disorder, a lot of, well, almost every PTSD, depression, anxiety, but a third of that sample actually had severe mental illness that, you know, was being treated with medication or whatever, and the CBT for CBT worked to reduce substance use just as effectively in that, in that population. So, you know, we don't, you know, in, in the settings that we are, so typically, you know, primary care, buprenorphine clinics, um, and, and, and substance use specialty clinics, you know, we, I, I, I just, in all the years we've been doing this, I mean, I think there's just been, you know, a handful of people that we haven't been able to take into the studies because they've just been too, you know, psychiatric, psychiatrically unstable to, to, to be in an outpatient randomized trial. Okay. And what can you say about the willingness to take part in computer-based therapy versus more traditional methods? Yeah, I, I, I think very often, you know, a lot of times clinicians don't want to answer, you know, often we, you know, we kind of underscreen for substance use disorders because I think we worry that if the question is yes, what am I going to do with this, you know, this person, are they going to go to specialty care you know, how severe are they? And, you know, I think this is one way, you know, of many you can offer, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to replace standard care, but it's, it's one tool that clinicians and, and, and patients can, can use to give them, you know, give themselves some skills and some exposure to an evidence-based treatment that they can kind of do any, anywhere, anyhow. So it's pretty exciting. I think, you know, one of the things I'm a, I'm a behavioral therapies researcher. And, you know, one of the things I know just from listening to practice and tapes and, you know, everything is that, you know, clinicians often just don't have 
time to give people a, you know, quote unquote dose of whatever behavioral therapy that they're, they're doing. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's distractions, there's paperwork, there's other pressures, there's all these things that they have to do. And so in listening to, to tapes, I mean, there's just, there's the level of evidence-based therapies, whatever therapy you're doing is, is usually not as, you know, not as high as it could be, certainly not as high as in the clinical trials that, that, that established the efficacy of that approach. And so these technology-based approaches, if they really, you know, do teach the skills as, as ours does, you know, I think is just another way to, to, to reinforce what we're trying to do to give people, you know, a, a, a bigger, more concentrated dose of, 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 of skill training or whatever they, you know, whatever they, 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 um, whatever the, the treatment that we're, we're doing. And so I think it's, you know, a way to make treatment stronger, better and, and get people, you know, get, get, get more people to be able to be exposed to stuff like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Dr. Carroll. Um, I really appreciate all of the insights and this particular paper that gives us uh, clinicians a lot to think about. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.